It was recently yours truly's birthday. And today would have been the birthday of none other than the sometimes gender-bending artist, the thin white duke, David Bowie. So, what better way to observe this than with a little stardust? Here's our senior showgirl to introduce tonight's discussion. Hundreds of years in the future, the solar system has been colonized by humanity. The three largest powers are the United Nations of Earth and Luna, the Martian Congressional Republic on Mars, and the Outer Planets Alliance, the OPA a loose confederation of the asteroid belt and the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. Join our hosts as we discuss the sci-fi series behind the talent that brought you Farscape and CSI. It's time for The Expanse. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of streaming? It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Well, hello there, folks, and Happy New Year. I hope the holidays treated you... Uh, as well as could be expected, and uh, that you stayed safe and got to uh, express your your love to your closest ones. So, Toppy, uh, we are gathered here in the balcony tonight for the first time this new year. Yeah, 2021. Yay! It rocks already. (laughs) It just rocks. I mean, it's already been a memorable 2021 it didn't take long and uh, i'm just thankful that there's a mere dusting on the ground so far i mean i did grow up in new york i mean both of us did so i'm not going to complain about this time of year because it's a small price to pay for the uh, the majesty we have the rest of the year Sure, I'll agree with that. <laughs> so, uh, that being said, uh, I had a, a pretty okay holiday, and uh, hubby, well, he's back to work now. Uh, we're calling it the shop around the corner because it ain't that far away. And uh, I uh, adore my dear sweet husband. We've been together going on 10 years now. We're about to celebrate our anniversary this summer. But, uh, you know, as they say, absence makes the heart grow Fonder, and uh, every once in a while, I like a few moments to myself. Go me time! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, we have a sci-fi series we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, it's kind of my birthday wish. We normally drop some coins in that gumball machine out there, but this was a special birthday request, and uh, I'm about to play a trailer for you here that'll give you a better idea of what this is about in case you fell asleep in the opening. May I ask you something? Do you miss Earth? 
these endless blue skies. Free air everywhere. And open water all the way to the horizon. When you spend your whole life living under a dome, even the idea of an ocean is almost impossible to imagine. They are an entire culture working together to turn a lifeless rock into a garden. We had a garden and we paved it. Someday, things gonna change. Earth and Mars been stepping on the necks of the Belters out here for over a hundred years. You wanna be careful how far you wanna take this. We're all in this together. We are fighting for something precious here. They built their solar system on our backs, spilt the blood of a million of our brothers, but in their eyes, we're not even human anymore. Heaven help your enemies. Heaven help us all. Earth must come first. We make it all this way, so far out into the darkness. Why couldn't we have brought more light? was the teaser trailer that aired probably at many a convention in 2015 when this series premiered. Oh, uh, hold on a minute, uh, Spanky. Uh, there are Cana- a lot of Canadians in the expanse, Spanky. Is that what you mean? I'm talking like this in honor of the, of the, uh, the, the woman there from Iran. <laughs> I... Hey, doesn't she have, I just love her voice. Uh, yes, uh, she puts our friend from the Bob Who, uh, Newhart show to shame almost. Yeah, Brenda Vaccaro was up for the role, but she turned it down. <laughs> oh, Lordy. We like to set the stage. So uh, we're going to talk about, well, it's not all that long, long ago, 1950 or 1915. <laughs> How about 2015? Let's try that. We're we're in the new aughts nowadays here. That's right. So what was going what was going on in this world, DJ? Okay, so the US history in 2015. Wait, there's quite a bit, so we'll try to get through this here. California bans revenge porn. Uh, you know that stuff that has violence in it? They banned it. Mm. Louisiana mm. lowers the voting age to 16 in their state. Uh, so you can uh, vote before you can go to war now in the Louisiana. No, I'm right. Nevada schools can now deny driver's licenses to students who skip classes. Uh-oh, not getting your wheels. And uh, Illinois, the land of Lincoln, requires e-cigarettes to be sold behind the counter. Hmm, minors. Several states raise their minimum wages, including Arkansas, Connecticut, Florida, Ohio, Maryland, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. So uh, we're moving on up. American Electronics Retailer Store franchise Radio Shack. Well, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection after 11 consecutive quarterly losses down the (laughs) tubes. And a Moscow-based security software company, Kaspersky Labs, discovers the NSA's ability to hide spying software in hard drives made by several top manufacturers in the computers of users from 
30 different countries. Can you believe it? They're, it's not Intel inside there. Well, it's different kind of Intel. And the Obama administration removed Cuba from the state-sponsored list of terrorists. And then nothing happened. Hmm. We've done nothing with Cuba. Well, well that I know of. I, I'm not sure if you can get a direct flight to Cuba anymore. You can uh, you can go to Canada and cross over. Yeah. Uh, David Letterman in 2015, he broadcast his last episode of his 22-year run as the host of The Late Show on CBS. And he drew a record audience. Now, after 54 years, the U.S. reopened its embassy, embassy, let me get my teeth in, in Havana, Cuba. So they did follow up a little, and Cuba reopened its embassy in D.C. And then at the 67th Primetime Emmy Awards, Viola Davis became the first African-American woman to win the award for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series. So a little diversity there that uh, will translate over into tonight's show. And Do you happen to know what the TV series was? I don't. I'm um, just curious. That's okay. And then uh, NASA scientists report that the human-made carbon dioxide continues to increase above levels not seen in hundreds of thousands of years. Global warming. Currently, about half the carbon dioxide released from the burning of fossil fuels remain in the atmosphere and is not absorbed by vegetation or the ocean. <clears throat> so, Toppy, uh, now that we know what was going on in the world, of course, 2015 was just a hop, a skip, and a jump back doing the time warp. Uh, tell us some of the fabulous people in history that we lost in 2015. In 2015, we said goodbye to a few folks that made history, including former New York governor Mario Cuomo, who lived to the ripe age of 83. Also, uh, one of the uh, talents behind MGM, Mr. Samuel Goldwyn Jr., who's a film producer, lived to 88 and passed in 2015. And, I didn't know he lived that long. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, some of these folks, they uh, it was no secret they had the bad habits, because, of course, back then, we didn't take care of ourselves as well. But um, Mr. Le uh, Mr. Leonard Nimoy, um, a favorite of yours and mine, Star Trek actor, <laughs> and he was also director and photographer, he lived to 83. He had given up smoking a number of years before, but unfortunately, it had already weakened his heart and lungs. Also in 2015, we said goodbye to another well-known film producer. Um, he created some of our favorites, including Andromeda Strain, as well as Star Trek The Motion Picture. Harv Bennett passed away at 84 in 2015. And a handful of others here, including also Star Trek actor Grace Lee Whitney. She played Yeoman Rand, passed at 85. Jane Meadows, actress and sister of Audrey Meadows, she passed at 95. Uh, Roddy Piper um, died before his time, certainly. He had uh, hypertension and uh, was uh, in the height of his fame during the 80s, where he appeared with the likes of Cindy Lauper in the World Wrestling Federation. Died at 61. Also, uh, at the age of 84, Disney actor Dean Jones passed away. Yogi Berra, the athlete and baseball player, lived to be the ripe age of 90. 
Uh, but he he lives on in the Yogi Bear and Boo Boo show. Uh, uh, and then uh, romance novelist uk uh, resident author jackie collins she lived to the age of 77 and then lastly probably the most famous of all those who left us in 2015 was actress maureen o'hara she starred in a few films with uh the uh, the duke um Mr. John Wayne, she lived to be 95, if you believe it. Yeah, she made one of her last appearances in a Woody Allen movie in the 80s, I believe. Might have been the 90s, but I think 80s. And of course, way, 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 way back, she was Jane to Johnny Weissmuller's Tarzan. Let me just say hi to the chat room. So uh, I think Aunt Tudor's here. He might be sleeping. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Logan Nagel um, is here. RT Cruiser uh, was here, but I think he's sleeping too. We got Spanky, Spankin' B. Arthur from Chubb's Gone Wild and the Big Gay Sex Show. And we have our pal Tommy Hashbrowns. Welcome all. So, The Expanse, the show we're discussing tonight, it was on the Sci-Fi Channel when it began its run, and it ran its course for three seasons before they threatened to cancel it. It got rescued, we'll talk about that in a moment, but because it was a TV show, some of the other things that were on TV in 2015, in particular things that were new, there was a animated series that premiered on the Fox Channel in 2015. It was called Border Town. And, you know, as you might imagine, the politics of 2015, it was about a southwest town bordering on Mexico. Uh, We'll move on. On ABC, we have a new series premiering. Uh, I think it may have only gotten one season. And uh, how we like the underdog, I might as well check it out. It's called Blood and Oil. Now, if you can imagine with a title like that, it was a soap opera. And it was about a uh, boom town in North Dakota. Good Lord. I I don't remember that at all, but okay. And then also on ABC, they premiered a series that actually uh, ran for three seasons. It was called Quantico, and it was all about the world of terrorism and bringing terrorists to justice. <clears throat> and uh, lastly, uh, an honorable mention uh, on CBS, a show that's probably near and dear to many a nerd's heart. CBS brought to life the live-action version of Supergirl for the first time in 2015. Was that CBS? Boy, uh, it's moved now, right? It's no longer on CBS, Um, right? I think that the show may now be over just last year, and it did move stations. I know Callista Flockhart was in the first season. Of course, some of you may know that that is uh, Harrison's Ford um, Bride. Okay. Yeah, uh, I was just surprised to hear it started on CBS. So we're a few minutes into tonight's show, and I thought I would treat your ears with a little interview that was done with a member of the cast. Uh, Of course, uh, The Expanse started on the Sci-Fi Channel, so we have Adam Savage, who was uh, part of Mythbusters. He's interviewing Wes Chatham, who plays the the marine mechanic of uh, Amos. 
Uh, with every great ensemble cast, you end up with characters that are also sort of um, archetypes, but not necessarily that slot right into a classic archetype uh, mold. I'm curious what you notice about Amos from the type of fans that gravitate towards him as a character. Well, you know what's really fascinating to me is that because I did the detailed work and tried to be as honest about like, if, if this real, if this really happened to somebody, what is, how is that going to manifest? How that's going to look? Um, I also had an acting teacher. Uh, I, I had an act, also as well as I had an acting teacher that told me. Uh, her name was Sandra Seacat. She said something that was really interesting to me. She said that everything that every character that comes to you, it's kind of from a spiritual perspective. Everything that comes to you, there are things that that character is working on and dealing with that is parallel with your own things that you're working and dealing mm-hmm. with, and. You, even if you're unaware of it. And so, you know, I don't know what I have in common with yeah. that, you know, what I have in common with Amos. But ultimately, I know as honest, as honest and truthfully as I can tell the story and do it, there are people, no matter how subtle the mannerisms or characteristics, people come up to me and say, listen, I, I, understand, I know what Amos is going through, and I had similar situations, and I see that through what you're doing. And I never... I, I didn't. I didn't do it thinking that anybody would even pick You're up. Putting on down it. signposts. And they pick up every time, <sighs> and they say, "Is this what he's going through?" I don't want to talk about it because yeah, they like, yeah. yeah. And they say, "Is this?" And I, I'll say, "Yeah." And they say, "You know, this has happened to my brother, or this is, you know, whatever." And so there's a. We just there's a certain kind of connection of being honest about this mental health issue and this, you know, it's, it's really fascinating. That must be very gratifying. I mean, you know, we find, we find succor in diving into these narratives that, Mm -hmm. that move us. And uh, just a, a correction here. Uh, earlier, we mentioned in 2015, um, there was some legislation passed about revenge porn. And in the chat room, uh, Spanky is mentioning that it, it's not violence. It's when an ex or someone posts private pornography of you to get back at you embarrass, and uh, embarrass you or get you fired. So, oh, yes. Okay, well, uh, Toppy, uh, we have a few folks that brought us this program. Uh, could you tell us a little about them? So, The Expanse is based on a whole series of novels uh, by the name of James S.A. Corey, which is actually a pen name for two people, and their real names are Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. And they're the guys who thunk up this whole thing and talk about world building. An amazing piece of work. And it's done them well in that it's provided the backdrop for eight novels. I'm not sure how many, but a a good number. And um, so intricate and detailed and dense. it just screamed out for somebody to uh, decide, hey, hey, let's do a show of this. <laughs> and actually, it was the two of them. <laughs> the two guys that wrote the novels are the two guys that uh, decided we're going to write this show and we're going to produce it. And they got it done. Amazingly, how they got the budget to do this, I'll never know. <laughs> So, uh, also involved uh, is the guy uh, that wrote the pilot, and his name is Mark Fagus. Uh, he did uh, the screenplay for Iron, Iron Man and uh, the Cowboys and Aliens, just two, for example. 
And another guy who also had a hand in writing the pilot, his name's Hawk Osby, and it was directed by Terry McDonough. And um, and and they, all of these guys, Mark, uh, Fergus, Hawk Osby, and Terry McDonough are, are serving now, I believe, still as the showrunners and head writers. Um, and then there's another person in there, Naren Shanker. And this whole thing started out, and believe still is, uh, produced by Alcon Television and the Sean Daniel Company. And uh, it's done in Toronto. That's where they film it. And um, Spanky, Spanky was making a joke about hearing all the Canadians because, yes, a good deal of the cast was found right there in Toronto. So uh, the principal filming started on October 29th in 2014 right there in Toronto. And as you mentioned before, once they got that pilot made, uh, it was screened at San Diego Comic-Con for the first time in 2015 and caused a mini-sensation. It sure did. Now, uh, we're going to talk a bit about the producer in a moment because, of course, uh, some of the story of the Marionette Theater, where our show takes place, is that it was once a venue for vaudeville and a host of many fabulous things, including a magician. So the magician behind the show, of course, were the storytellers that you've already mentioned and the producer, Mr. Naren Shankar. Now, uh, we're also going to talk about the story because that's what draws us into this. There's so many characters, and if we have time, we'll get to the people who played them, of course. But uh, <laughs> it's just so much to talk about, because this show yeah. has been on for five years. Um, but Mr. Naren Shankar is an Indian-American writer. He's producer and director of several television series. He's currently showrunner of Amazon Prime's sci-fi space opera, The Expanse. That's how we categorize this. And he served as the co-showrunner on the long-running CBS crime drama CSI and Almost Human, among others. Now, as a writer and producer, Shankar has contributed to works for Farscape, which was made by Jim Henson's company. And, of course, the aforementioned CSI, a show called Night Visions, and uh, a reboot of The Outer Limits. Now, he also worked on something called The Chronicle and did some writing for Star Trek Deep Space Nine in his early days. And, uh, of course, before Farscape, he did Sequest for NBC um, the, the last couple of years of it. It was put in the future, 2013. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I got to visit that Sequest at the time. Don't ask me why, because it was right up my alley. I think maybe I was... I mean, it was after college, I think, for me, or during college or something, but I never saw it, ever. Mm, the nose was on the did grindstone. You, did um, you ever watch it? I did, actually. In fact, the convention that we uh, often attend in the Mid-Atlantic Farpoint uh, was where I ran into some of the personalities of that. In fact, um, sadly, he's he's uh, passed well before his time. Uh, young actor Jonathan Brandis, who played the teen heartthrob on that show, Sequest, was one of the guests at Farpoint back in the 90s. Okay. Couldn't he talk to dolphins or something? No, I don't know. Uh, he, I think he was the, the doctor's kid, so he was like the Wesley Crusher of the show, but he was supposed to be smarter and maybe a little older, but uh, I digress. So 
Toppy, before we get to the cast, let's talk about the storyline of this. And uh, if, if you can, because what a storyline it is. Uh, holy cow. Now, uh, there were a number of episodes. And whenever we discuss a series, we have some homework that we have to get under our belts because, uh, you know, we have to catch up with folks. Um, but uh, the, we had a top five list, and I shared that in the chat room if you want to follow along here. We won't go into to specifics, but it gave you a taste of some of the best moments of the series. But uh, I, I will say that um, before tonight, I was checking in with Toppy to see where he was at with his watching, and I nearly spoiled a moment for him. <laughs> Do you remember me asking about a little uh, incident where somebody's head got blown off? Yeah, and, and I hadn't seen it. And I still haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, um, I, I have been uh, slowly watching the show from the beginning. I started uh, the other month before we decided to do this for my birthday. But uh, I'm uh, currently midway through season two. Now, um, I conveniently forgot that uh, the first season was very much like a mini-series. So I forgot what parts were actually in the first episode and what followed it. So my apologies. But uh, anyways, so what were some of your favorite moments? Who did you like? And uh, um, could you take your eyes off that marine mechanic? Woof. Well, you know, honestly, he, you know, really is a looker. And and so's uh, uh, the other um, main character there. Um, the captain? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's some, you know, great guys in this. But um, um, I, I guess I, I was very captivated um, by the... Um, the kind of creature, um, and this this all came out, I think, in the second season primarily. But that whole um, uh, it's not a virus, but what did they call it, DJ? Oh, the, the, uh, the proto molecule. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that that whole the whole idea of that was very intriguing, and uh, you know it. it Gave it gave them quite quite a, a monster actually uh, to menace the cast. But what it evolves into is is absolutely nothing like you ever 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 expect, and it's beyond uh, it's beyond just a monster. It's of the week. It's 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 incredible, really. Um, and it carries the the show into the third and beyond. Um, I won't uh, give away what it is because it's it's quite a reveal. Um, but um, I, I love the uh, um, the characters and um, the, the conflicts, and uh, there's and there's plenty of them because uh, this show is loaded with. Um, well, the whole story is of, of three factions who are on the brink of war. So there's plenty of conflict and, and uh, strange alliances and uh, 
uh, friendships and, and are made. So everything's really quite memorable, but it's the, uh, it's that second season so far um, that really, really got me going. You know, I, whenever I watch a new sci-fi series, or at least new to me, I, I like to pick it apart and, and figure out what it is about that show that makes me want to watch more of it. Now, it's no secret that I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and one of the things that appeals to me about that, of course, is the utopia factor. You know, we, we've we uh, cured all of the illnesses, we've learned to grow enough food for everyone, and, um, you know, we've got the shiny sports car for the guys in uh, the uniforms to be driving, but... Then you have uh, people that are sort of turned off by that. You know, they they think that that's too pie in the sky. And um, one of the things that Toppy and I were discussing uh, behind the curtain is that um, science fiction is, or at least good science fiction, it's often said, is supposed to be a commentary on the the days and times that we're going through. So um, shows like The Expanse, they they put it uh, more to everyday reality because everything isn't picture perfect. I mean, the, the Earth is overpopulated. We have colonized Mars, but we've taken for granted our resources. And that's one of the things that you learn about in The Expanse by watching it is that the Martians learn to resent Earth because we're trying to exploit the rest of the solar system and the Martians are looking back at our pretty blue orb thinking, wow, you squander everything you have. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it, it, of course, it's also about the struggle, as they say, the struggle is real, uh, you know, of the working man and woman. And that's what the, the OPA, the, um, Outer Planetary Alliance uh, is all about, and that's all the planets that aren't Earth or Mars, you know, Jupiter, Saturn, anywhere they could put a colony on an asteroid or something that's low gravity and people have to struggle to get through yeah. their daily life. And and one of the things they struggle the most with is is what we take for granted today, and that's water. Mm, yes. And, uh, and oxygen, too, because uh, you know, there are often times on this show where people's lives are threatened. You know, somebody new takes control, tries to make a stand and plant their flag. And uh, how do they get you to cooperate? Well, they turn off the air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll, uh, the other thing, you know, the characters are not simple or... You know, there's you're not exactly sure who's good or who's bad because, um, just for example, the the UN deputy undersecretary there, the her name's Christian Avasaria, and uh, she's deplorable in that first season, <laughs> just deplorable. Uh, but there's something as it goes on. You see other sides of her, but I mean, she was not beyond using torture, for example, to get what she wanted. So not exactly someone you could say, wow, you know, I really think she's a cool cat. But but there's so many aspects to her that and and they were 
absolutely unafraid to show that side of her, uh, that she, you know, had ambitions and she wasn't going to let anything stop her and was willing to cross the line, uh, do things that, you know, you, that were really deplorable. But, um, but her character ended up being much more than that. So just really incredible writing, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. We're going to continue the discussion in just a moment here. We're at about the halfway mark in our show. So we're going to trot on over here to the snack bar and uh, see what's left over from the holidays. Hey, folks, uh, trust me on this one. Don't drink the eggnog. So uh, for... uh, about two three minutes here uh we have an interview with the cast of the expanse and uh they're telling you a little bit about the times that the expanse is set in it takes place 200 years in the future earth has colonized the moon mars and the asteroid belts and the outer planets each colony that we have they're three or four generations removed from earth and they've never been a part of earth and they're starting to wonder and starting to resent the fact that they're sending all their wealth and minerals and materials back to Earth. There is a uh, tension brewing of this major intergalactic World War III with these three different sects. And waiting for a spark to Waiting for a spark. It's a couple hundred years in the future, so there's no hyperdrive or, you know, this, you know, anti-gravity or... Um, it's we're only kind of a little bit more advanced than we are now. I think what's interesting about the show is that each of these places, the belt, Earth, and Mars, are very different. I mean, you've got a, got a noirish element to Thomas Jane's part in his world um, on series, and then you've got us in the um, on the spaceships, which is kind of grim and claustrophobic, and then you've got Earth, which is outside and, and green. I play uh, fighter pilot Alex Kamal, Mars-born pilot of East Indian Pakistani descent with a Texas accent. I play Naomi Nagata. She is the head engineer on the Canterbury, which is the ice caller, and she is a belter, so she was born on the asteroid belt and she has never felt real soil on her feet or she's of that generation. I play Amos Burton and I'm from Earth, shout out Earth, (laughs) and uh, I'm a a mechanic on the Canterbury. He works together. And a badass. He's also a badass. I play uh, James Holden. He's uh, he's the second officer on an ice hauler when you meet him in the beginning of the show. He has a really hard time with authority, and he comes across a distress call from Florence's character, Julie, and it just sets off this chain of events for him that he essentially ends up turning into this inadvertent revolutionary and the, and the face of this kind of intergalactic frustration, like, politically, without ever really wanting it. I play Julie Mao, the daughter of one of the wealthiest, most powerful men in the universe. I end up um, setting off on a mission to figure out some kind of mystery that's going on in a, in a ship, and I go missing. And Stephen's character and Thomas James's character seek. We're all trying to find Julie Mao. I'm Cass Anbar. I'm Dominique Tipper. And I'm Wes Chatham. Hi, I'm Florence Faber. And I'm Stephen Strait from The Expanse. From The Expanse. And, and you're watching. watching. And you are watching TVinsider.com. Hey, and we are back. So just continuing the discussion here on the story, you know, it's it's um, just uh, such good writing because as you get into the show, these characters change as the time goes on. I mean, right in the beginning, in the, in the pilot, 
we have the main character there, uh, Jim Holden. And uh, he he becomes a captain, but he isn't a captain in the very beginning. He's the first officer of this ship called the Canterbury. Of course, since this is, uh, you know, based upon a series of novels, um, of course, that suggests to me that uh, the Canterbury, of course, is a, a, a what do they call alliteration? It's a it's a tribute to uh, uh, a work of writing, but. Um, the Canterbury is traveling along, and the first officer, Jim Holden, he notices a distress call. And of course, they're on a mission. They're, they're headed somewhere else. So he's uh, very quickly told, just disregard that. And uh, things turn and make a change for the different once he decides, I'm not going to do that. And of course, he... Uh, Somewhat regrets it later on, but uh, it's not necessarily a bad regret. <laughs> um, yeah, the 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 plot points come along and converge and separate and come back together. So it's one of those. Uh, let's see. I, I think most of the seasons were about thirteen episodes, right? That sounds about right. Yes, sir. Yeah. So. Um, I, I can't exactly say each episode is unto itself because they're very, very connected. Uh, but it it forms small chapters of a much larger story um, that ends up being much more complex than than you would ever expect. And and so uh, that's where a lot of it. It takes very surprising turns, let's put it that way. And we stick along with our characters who who go through all of these, you know, quite a lot, really, and see how they change. The other really interesting thing for me is that, yes, this show takes place, you know, many hundreds of years in our future, like Star Trek did. But ain't nobody developed no warp drive, Okay. So somebody did invent a, a ship that was had a, a, some sort of engine that was much faster, but nothing, nothing like warp drive. So um, they're they're basically very much in the solar system for the first couple of seasons. Then something very surprising happens, uh, but they're very much in the solar system and. Uh, and the and what we see of of how they live and how they get to places is all seems very grounded in in real science in a way that you know you really can't say Star Trek or it, I don't know anything before it really that seems so realistic. So they play around with gravity. They play around with uh, how far away things are, um, and th- nobody's got a laser pistol. Mm-mm. No laser pistol. <laughs> uh, they basically seem to be shooting the equivalent of what we have now. If if uh, anything like that happens, it's, it seems to be a basic gun of some sort. But <clears throat> it all seems very... Uh, I mean, when you see the sets and, and you see how they, they've been made for a, a, an environment that a lot of times has no gravity or even all the time, you just see the thinking that went into it. Um, it's really like how they ever 
got this from the thought in their head to actually being a set they could work on is amazing to me anyways. Mm-hmm. And, and the special effects are seamless. And in, in my opinion, they're, uh, I, I'll be damned. I, I don't know what was a set and what was CGI. Mm-hmm. It's so seamless. Um, but it really, it really captures like, yeah, this is what it would really be like in a way that, that, you know, I, Star Trek, no other show that I can think of has, has ever managed to do. What, what do you think about that? It's, it seems singularly unique in that way to me. It does. And, you know, I think that, um, what the, uh, appeal to more of a general audience is, is that reality idea is that uh, you know this ship isn't shiny and new it's dirty you know it's it's pieced together and uh, they don't even have uniforms now of course the main characters on this series they're they're basically um oh what would you call privateers essentially and that's a fancy word for pirate uh, for hire, basically, and uh, they don't have uniforms because they're not part of any sort of military presence, and uh, they they actually get around wearing these jumpsuits, like you might see your mechanic change your oil in, <laughs> right? And um, you know, it, it's almost like um, they are in uh, you know a, a racing event or something because they have sponsors. I mean, they they have to masquerade. They have to you know basically have a uh, you know, a secret identity because uh, there are a few people that don't like them. So at one point, they actually end up painting up the ship that they, um, well, maybe borrowed, but uh, a, the ship that it came from uh, maybe blew up. Uh, but anyways, they painted up the <laughs> ship and called it their own and they renamed it. It's called the Rossinantane. There's actually a really great moment when they decide to to take over that ship and rename it because uh, the the muscle, the eye candy, Amos says, I knew a lady once named Rossinante. She was a good gal. Of course, we learned that Rossinante is uh, is Spanish and it means workhorse. Mm-hmm. And that's all part of, of uh, the wild frontier that is the uh, part of the expanse um, in, in the asteroid belt where gen- you know, generations have grown up uh, with, with no gravity and uh, they're wily, they're, 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 uh, they're piratey <laughs> and uh, they do very clever things to survive so that's that's really interesting now before we tell folks about our favorite moments let's tell them a little bit about the people that played the characters i'll go first if you like uh okay uh <laughs> steven Strait. he plays the lead character jim hold and he becomes the captain now mr Strait. uh yeah He's a little younger than me. Okay. He's born and raised in New York City, attended Stella Adler Acting School. Now, uh, no secret that some of these uh, popular TV shows, well, they hire the pretty folks. And uh, Mr. Stephen Strait, he's had a few acting jobs. He's been in some movies and TV shows. But most notably, he modeled in his teens. And uh, one of the... um, jobs that he got was for a magazine called Details. Natapi, um, one of the cast members, is a, a fabulous lady that often has terrific hair. Tell us about the lady who plays Naomi. 
Okay, DJ, I'm sorry that's not on my version of the notes, so go ahead and read it. All right, so Dominique Tipper, she plays Naomi Nagata, and she is the the chief engineer of the Rocinante, the the ship that they are on in the Expanse. She's a British actress, and uh, she hails from East London, so, you know, when she's not in character, she's got an accent. She's of British and Dominican origin. Now, um... The uh, the eye candy back to that yes I can't I can't help it. Uh, um, <laughs> we have uh, Wes Chatham playing Amos. Now Amos uh, he he changes a little over the run of the show, and uh, he's always looking out for the little guy. Now Amos is played by Wes Chatham as I was saying. And at the age of 13, Wes moved in with his father and without a lot of supervision, as a restless and rebellious teen, he was kicked out of school. He was sent to the Give Center, which was uh, a, uh, like a, a night school. And uh, it was a second chance school for troubled youth offering very small classes Um but uh, while attending school there, a professional theater company out of Atlanta started a mentoring program with the school, and he, Wes Chatham was chosen to write a play that was performed in front of his classmates. And uh, that led to his um, earning many roles to come after that. He, once he graduated school, he joined the military. So he did his duty. He worked as an aviation firefighter on the flight deck of the USS XX, so he's no stranger to getting dirty. And he worked in a crash and salvage operation for four years. Now, Wes Chatham's big break into acting came just three months before his tour with the military was over, when actor Denzel Washington was uh, scouting some locations, and he chose his ship to film a movie called Antoine Fisher. Hmm. So uh, we have one more fabulous member of the cast here, and uh, I'll talk about her in a moment. I'm going to play a clip for you about uh, that's uh, by this fabulous lady. Um, she's yes, go ahead, DJ. Uh, yes, she's of Iranian descent, and her name is Shoray uh, Agdashlu, and uh, this is Shoray on a morning show in Los Angeles. Season three premiere is tonight. To catch me, where are we right now? Oh, uh, we, we're going to pick it up from where we left it off last time. Two years we kept saying, we are at the brink of a war, we are at the... Guess what? We are officially at war now. <gasps> Earth, Mars, and Belt. Mm. And all the ingredients in a Shakespearean play have led us to, to the war, after yeah. all. But what we are going to do, how we are going to take care of this, uh, I hope the audience will watch it and find out. And uh, it's just incredible. There, there is sort of it's a Shakespearean so quality to these things. Isn't it funny, though, when it's in the sci-fi world? Storytelling, yeah. the old method of storytelling, that and also the um, situation. And it's sometimes it's so timely. Yeah. It sounds so relevant. Like one of my monologues that I was running about uh, private sector and how public servants sometimes are waiting for some bribes from the private sector. Mm. And I loved, loved that monologue. I couldn't wait to go to the set and run it. Mm. So it's so timely. Sometimes I wish we were a daily show. 
<laughs> so that was the voice of Shirei Agashlu. And as I was saying, she was born in Iran. She plays the the politician, which she was the um, deputy undersecretary of the United Nations of Earth. And uh, Christian is her character. Now, she was born in Tehran, Iran. And uh, in 1978, during the Islamic Revolution, Shoray left Iran for England to complete her education. At that time, her interest in politics uh, and her concern for social injustice in the world led her to receive a bachelor's in international relations. So she has experience with politics. And uh, Shoray is the first Iranian actress to cross over into mainstream Hollywood cinema. And she was also the first Iranian and Middle Eastern actress to be nominated for an Oscar. So, Toppy, uh, before we make some recommendations on things that uh, people might like, tell- yeah, let me just add add just one last thing. Yeah, it was it was a, uh, specifically the performance in a movie called House of Sand and Fog in two thousand three, where she was nominated for that best supporting actress role, and that uh, you know was obviously a real landmark for her. and also uh she did a lot of tv um of, of uh, the, the the kind of shows you would expect between 1980 or 1990 and 2013 so she was on shows like matlock uh, a show called martin she was on 24 you would have seen her on, uh, on will and grace she was an er she was in gray's anatomy NCIS and a show called Grimm. So she had quite a lot of TV work, but it was that House of Sand and Fog in 2003 that really, that's where critics like uh, and, and, and just stood up and really noticed her. Hmm. So, Toppy, what were some of the moments in The Expanse that just wowed you and made you think? that uh, if you knew somebody who hadn't watched it before, this would just pull them in? Well, I got to tell you, for me, and I I did not get through all of the episodes, but for me, it was the season finale of of season two um, that really bowled me over. There were were like so many. The whole damn show, first of all, was, uh, I mean, talk about everything coming to a head. Uh, but uh, uh, the father that found his his daughter, um, who had been in peril and, and missing, and uh, uh, under being a victim of this kind of mad scientist kind of guy, <clears throat> and she she finally gets rescued and reunited with her father, and someone, uh, a, a major character basically and uh and heroically ends his life by saving uh the universe in a way and in a very moving scene that that uh really involves uh Sharon Shara and uh, that's a beautiful scene um where he sacrifices himself uh and uh, of course there's the whole what happens to that weird um, that that protomolecule hybrid we learn at the end what uh, what happens to it and 
Uh, so for me, that that was like, good lord, you know, talk about a season ender. Hmm. Yeah, for me, it was the journey of seeing how the characters evolved from one season to the next. Now, mind you, I'm only watching so far through season two, and this did run, uh, it's actually on its sixth season now. Of course, now is a good time to watch because uh, the current season is the announced final season of the series, but you've got six to watch. And uh, as Hubby Billy in the chat room was so kind to share, um, no matter which side of the aisle you sit on, uh, you have something to look at because there are some people that take care of their bodies in this show. (laughs) In fact, uh, I do think it might have even been in the pilot episode. You got got to see uh, a little Frenchness there, a little derriere, if you know what I mean. But, um, but uh, you know, the characters and how they changed, and not only the characters, but it was like watching the news, you know, depending on uh, what sort of uh, action took place on the, you know, the front lines on the frontier, you, you have a station that's been attacked or an explosion that happens, and all of a sudden... You know, the, the, the cavalry is coming in to save the day. Or, you know, you, you've got people who are forging bargains just to, uh, you know, make ends meet. And so um, one of my favorite moments is, is kind of um, dark, but it's twisted because you, you just think to yourself, there's something not right about that character. And uh, it alludes to some of what Toppy mentioned with um, the... Uh, the man who lost his daughter, Amos, the the brawny mechanic. He's uh, often sent in guns blazing to places. And, uh, well, there is a scene in uh, that story arc there where he, he finds the man who's lost his daughter. And everyone thinks that the, uh, the doctor or the scientist is, is going to get away scot-free. And, um, well, <laughs> uh, I won't give away the ending, but uh, Amos basically says, uh, he's not that guy, but I am. <laughs> right. That was Another character that starts out in the first season goes on through to the second is the is the detective um or or i guess they he's an investigator and he's that's joe miller so that's this his story that starts in a very obscure way but becomes more integral uh uh, and 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 then what happens to him and 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 how he's completely changed in a way I won't describe but but it's just an example of taking this character and he's here and he's doing this thing in that case being an investigator and then at the end he's all the way over there in completely unexpected ways and and as life does it it, it just carried him along uh, willing or unwilling uh, at certain points uh, to to an, uh, a finale that he, he nobody could have predicted, and that that's just stunning writing, I think. Hmm, I would agree, and uh, that's part of the journey of that first season. There is seeing that uh, that detective because he is been uh, put on the watch. He's been sent after 
the uh, the um, entrepreneur, for lack of a better term's uh, daughter who's gone missing, Julie Mao. Well, Toppy, we have reached the end of tonight's show, so let's go ahead and walk out to the lobby and uh, tell it folks here some other things they might enjoy before we get the coins out, sir. I'll go first. Now, I think that if you like The Expanse, now you probably already like things like Battlestar Galactica, uh, whether that's the older yeah. or newer. I, the Expanse was often compared to that the remake of Battlestar Galactica mm. in terms of scope and epicness and and story arcs. Would, would you agree? I, I never saw that. Oh, I would agree, and uh, it might be worth a uh, dipping your toes in because uh, I I didn't get to see it regularly when it was in its run, the the remake of Battlestar Galactica. But I eventually finished watching it. Um, it's one of those shows that uh, fans will say they either liked the ending or they didn't like the ending. But uh, it it. It was a journey on its own. But anyways, if you like The Expanse, I think a show that would be worth revisiting is kind of an underdog because it only had one season. And if you are a sci-fi nerd like me, you know people at conventions that have pins and shirts of this still. In 1995, yes, when I was still in school, there was a show on Fox. Yes, the folks that brought you the X-Files. They had a short-run sci-fi series a little bit like this years and years before. And it was called Space Above and Beyond. It was the mm. near future and uh, Earth had moved out into space. Now, I don't think that there were the factions like there were in The Expanse. But uh, it, it was basically the idea of the military in space. And, you know, maybe there's a reason it only got one season, but I remember knowing people that liked it. So I'm going to dig it up and uh, give it a shot. Give the name one more time. Sure. Space Above and Beyond. All right. Uh, <clears throat> that's a new one to me. Anything else? Uh just uh, the the Battlestar Galactica remake that you were discussing there, I think yeah, that would be worth yeah. a watch. Uh, apparently so. So, what what uh, the Expanse made me think of of uh, first of all um, is um, to, you just can't compare it to Star Trek or some of these. Uh, it, it's just so so very different um but i did kind of think you know it reminds me a bit of space 1999 uh to go back to a really old show um that was popular in the uh, late 70s i believe and uh, martin landau was the lead character uh but it, it, it Space 1999 was, was, was much more into the science, and it wasn't so ridiculously far into the future that, you know, uh, there were crazy warp drive things or anything. The other thing that just seems to me that relates to The Expanse um, is a movie a lot of people shy away from, but it, 2001, A Space Odyssey deals with the science of space travel 
in a way that that's very realistic as as does the expanse and there's many many scenes in 2001 a space odyssey of people living in space and uh so it made me think of that and i really have a hard time um relating the expanse to any typical tv sci-fi show so that's my recommendation. Okay. Well, uh, also, uh, if you're wanting to catch The Expanse, uh, it started on sci-fi, but nowadays it's on Amazon. So Prime Video, you can see all five and the current sixth season, which just made its uh, premiere recently. So let's grab that bag of coins here, Toppy, so we can let the folks know what's coming up. Will you please? There you go. Take that coin there. All right. I think that landed on your side there, sir. Uh-huh. I better open up the capsule. And by God, oh, look at this. Uh, DJ, the next thing we're going to do on Matinee Minutia is a movie from 1959. It's called Anatomy of a Murder. Mm. It's a courtroom, American courtroom drama. And it's uh, based on a 1958 novel by Robert Traver. It was produced and directed by Otto Preminger. And it starred Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Also, not to mention Lee Remick, Ben Gazzara, Eve Arden, George C. Scott, Arthur O'Connell, and Catherine Grant, and Mary Hamilton. uh, It's noted as being... uh, probably the purest and finest trial movie, which is what it is. It's about a trial uh, that that's ever been made. So anatomy of a murder from 1959, a movie ahead of its time. It was very scandalous when it came out and did not shy away from things. Most movies would never touch. So that's next time on Matinee Minutia. Oh, you had me at Eve Arden, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So that will be on Friday, January 22nd. This month we're doing the odd Fridays, but we'll be back to the first and third uh, next month here. Oh, right. Will you do the honor, sir? Would you say goodnight, Gracie? You know what? Goodnight, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show? Or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Oliver. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. 
We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.